we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and VeriSage Institute colleague, Ed Kless, and on today's show, folks, we are talking about life after Google with the one and only George Gilder, my mentor for 37 years. George, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise, and thank you so much. Well, it's great to be on. Uh, I, I have to t- I have to thank you yeah. on behalf of me and Ed for sending us your book a week before it was published, which we devoured. And just because we know you don't like the free model, we've gone out and bought multiple copies. So oh, thank I just you want- so much. And <laughs> and you know I've been quoting you. I don't know how many of my books quote you, but a couple anyway. I I, I well, you've been my thirty seven year mentor, George. Okay. So getting. Getting quoted in your book, Knowledge and Power, was like one of the highlights of my life. But um, I, I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm even going to dispense with reading your biography. I'm just going to direct people back to show number 60, which we did with you on September 11th, 2015. And, you know, you've taken us from the microcosm to the telecosm and now the cryptocosm. And all the while, you love to cite Carver Mead. Who, used, who says, listen to the technology and find out what it's telling us. George, yeah. what's the technology telling you about Google? It's telling us, in a, it's expressing Bell's Law. And Bell's Law is that every 10 years or so, the accumulation of Moore's Law, doubling of computer power every couple years, leads to a hundredfold or more rise of computing power, which entails and mandates an entirely new computer architecture. And back in 2006, in Wired Magazine, I wrote a tribute to the Google's launch of the era of cloud computing and machine learning and... and, uh, data warehouses, and it's now 10 years and 12 years have passed, and Bell's Law is tolling for Google today, because Google has always big white elephant, bureaucratic uh, data centers all around the globe, and they're they're becoming obsolete. You know, you talk about Google having a materialist, and I love this, neo-Marxist, burning man ideology that we humans are nothing but an algorithm, and you reject this, and and I just love how you bring in the whole William F. Buckley, don't let them immunitize the eschaton. (laughs) Can you kind of explain that? Yeah, well, a lot of people don't understand that Marx's real error wasn't the celebration of violence or class war or whatever. It was to imagine 
that the industrial revolution of the 19th century, all those steam engines and railroads and electric turbines and dark satanic mills were the ultimate achievement of human productivity and that in the future the challenge would not be the creation of wealth but rather the distribution of wealth. And that was the original Marxism. Uh, the new Marxism of Google is to say that the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, the robotics, the algorithmic biology, uh, all these the search engines, all these capabilities are a kind of ultimate human achievement. Uh, an eschaton, in Bill Buckley's words, or, or Vogelin's words, uh, a final thing. And that in the future, uh, we can all retire to beaches and receive a guaranteed annual income while Larry Page and Sergey Brin uh, get on a rocket and go out to some remote planet with Elon Musk in a winner-take-all universe. And that's, uh, that's sort of the new... Eschaton, the new Marxism, the Google Marxism. Right. You talk about the priesthood of AI and supposedly how it's going to take over the world, destroy all our jobs, and yet Silicon Valley can't figure out passwords. I, I love the rant in one of the early chapters in your book where you talk about, you know, passwords and asking yeah, yeah. you for your mother's maiden name and what street you used to live on as a kid. I mean, what is the I problem here? I'm really <laughs> I, I discovered that my answers change as I grow older. Right. Anyway, <laughs> what I really like is when they pop up, give me your pet, one of those little boxes, uh, scantily clad boxes pop up in the middle of your screen saying, please insert your password. As if you only have one password rather than <laughs> hundreds of passwords, many of which uh, in a combinatorial explosion can kind of paralyze your whole life. They, uh, <laughs> an <laughs> epidemic of passwords, and they want one. They, they think right. you have extrasensory perception or maybe artificial intelligence to identify precisely the password that's relevant in any particular situation that every web page imagines that it's the apple of your eye <laughs> <laughs> well you talk about how security is not an app it, it's really an architecture or at least should be it's one of the one of the laws or the overriding laws of the cryptocosm and and do you think that silicon valley has just kind of given up on this issue yeah, I think that yes, they're, uh, they regard security as sort of a retrofix or a patch or or a video game, uh, you know, a, to be conducted by SWAT teams of brilliant ponytailed nerds who crack down on the hackers. You, you know, it's a it's a it's a really infantile view of security. Security is an architecture. It's a way you organize the network with a foundation, with a ground state uh, 
of uh, factuality and and uh, and substance. And if you don't have a ground state, you really don't have a network. You're you become dependent on all these Leviathan companies at the top. Right. Like Google. You know, one, sure. What. One of the things that just really struck me about reading the book was when you talked about Kurt Girdle and and the halting problem, but but his basic premise was how every logical system depends on propositions that cannot be proved within the system itself, yeah, that yeah. computers require oracles to give them instructions. And he refuted the whole premise of AI, didn't he, back in, what was it, the 30s? 1931. And he, he's the one who persuaded... Uh, von Neumann, you know, John von Neumann, who was the greatest figure in computer science of the 20th century, it was Gödel who persuaded von Neumann back in 1931 to ab- abandon mathematical physics, essentially, and proceed to uh, computer science. And and the science that the computer science that Gödel launched. He, he essentially used a software program to prove that all logical systems are necessarily dependent on axioms that cannot be proved within the system. And uh, Alan Turing, who conceived the Turing machine as the ultimate computer, uh, proved the same point for computers by uh, saying that they're necessarily dependent on oracles, and that's why Ellison named uh, Oracle Computer after Turing's Oracle. But the oracles have to be us. They have to be human minds that program the computers. The computers can't run off and, and uh, program themselves. Uh, they're necessarily dependent on... on uh, an informative, creative, imaginative minds. And George, if if that's this has ours, been, by the way, <laughs> right, right, and if that's been proven, why is it that really smart people? And I know you address this in the book, like Musk and Brin and and Page and all that. Why don't they see this? You know, I I think they're captivated by their immediate technologies, and they never really address uh, the deeper implications. And, and, you know, it is amazing to read these people. Uh, My favorite is Ray Kurzweil, who's a friend of mine and a genius, and uh, he wrote a book called How to Create a Mind. And and it's a brilliant book. It, It brilliantly explains... How to create a speech recognizing, pattern recognizing, correlating machine of a computer, uh, but he kind of explains away consciousness. But if you don't understand consciousness, you don't understand mind at all. Uh, they imagine that that uh, consciousness is a side effect of all these machine learning programs that they understand, 
but the consciousness is the source of thought. It's not a epiphenomenon or side effect of thought. It is the origin of thought. And if they don't understand consciousness, or don't even don't believe, or believe that consciousness is something that's going to emerge magically from their machines, it shows they aren't even trying to understand a true a true uh, intellect. You know, you say that consciousness depends on faith, the ability to act without full knowledge, and the ability to be surprised and 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 to surprise. And and I just <laughs> this is kind of an out there question, but how much of this is just due to secularism or atheism? Well, it's hard to say, but uh, Chesterton made uh, what I regard to be a wonderful observation among many wonderful observations when he said that people who don't believe in God don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. Uh, (laughs) They grope. (laughs) And that's what Silicon Valley is doing in its current nervous breakdown. It's groping for explanations of the world that correlate with their own desiccated secular vision of multiple parallel universes, infinite numbers of universes they have to postulate in order to explain our one unique singular universe. And... And they believe in, many people in Silicon Valley will earnestly tell you that in all likelihood we're just part of some alien races, some advanced alien races simulation, 3D simulation. Uh, They actually believe that in the material of superstition, that human beings are nothing but, uh, and nothing buttery is another concept of Chesterton, I believe. Uh, We're nothing but uh, material. We're nothing but chemistry and physics. Uh, It's what I call the flat universe theory. Right. Well, George, this is great. And I know Ed wants to pick up on the consciousness question with you, but unfortunately, we're up against our first break. And folks, I'd like to remind you, check out uh, thesoulofenterprise.com. We will post our full interview with George Gilder, along with books and links to where you can find more of his work. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. 
The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And Ed Kless here on The Soul of Enterprise, and we are with George Gilder, author of the fantastic book, Life After Google. And George, I want to just pick up where Ron left off and uh, from a quote from the book that says, the blind spot of AI is the consci- that consciousness does not emerge from thought. It is the source of it. Are you aware of the work of a, a guy by the name, I think he's done a TED Talk, Donald Hoffman, who is posited no. and uh, Well, is Donald that- Hoffman, who is he? I, I may yeah, have heard of Donald Hoffman. Yeah, he did, a, he did a TED Talk about three or four years ago, and his book has been anticipated since uh, 2017. It hasn't come out yet, but his position is basically, and he, he goes through this mathematically, that, consci- that it's consciousness that creates the reality that we see. And he's yeah, got a really, yeah. it, it's, it's an interesting po- position. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, it, it's an interesting position if it understands that our consciousness is a reflection of a greater cosmic consciousness that we call God. Um, you know, I, I don't... The idea that somehow our consciousness is kind of a artificial construct doesn't appeal to me. But I do, I do believe we're in a hierarchical universe and our consciousness reflects a larger consciousness of our creator in some sense. And uh, it's, this is not some uh, religious affirmation, essentially. It's a scientific observation that, that uh, corresponds to all the evidence we experience which is that consciousness is a fundamental property of life and, and uh, infuses the universe with life and that uh, human beings in some sense are creative in the image of their creator. Yeah, and I, you know, he, 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 at least in the interviews that I've seen, kind of take, takes a, 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 an agnostic approach to that. But I suspect... Um, just in in seeing him view that he would he uh, he would agree that it's a greater consciousness that has crea- that yeah. has started I mean, all this. It, so it's pretty, pretty it, interesting. It all depends what kind of thinking you're doing. I mean, there uh, human beings only live for a while, and we only have a limited perspective. And so, if we're going to make any serious decisions or or choose or any particular beha- path of behavior, we got to have faith and we have to act in the face of, of incomplete knowledge. That's just the predicament of the human being. Uh, so I think, uh, and so t- 
to say that uh, you're agnostic, of course we're agnostic. We can't really know the mind of God in in a profound way, at least short of some ecstatic revelation. But uh, at the same time, we have to act in the darkness of time. And uh, in order to act in the darkness of time, we have to have uh, what's called faith. And faith precedes knowledge. Uh, Faith precedes action. Uh, Faith precedes meaning. So, and this is really what Gödel discovered. He discovered you can't have any logical, rational systems without uh, without faith. You got you got to have something axioms outside the system that can't be proven within the system. And then, in case uh, Gödel wasn't enough and von Neumann wasn't enough. Uh, two of the great minds of the 20th century, Alan Turing went and proved it again. And then Gregory Chaitin went and proved it algorithmic uh, information theory. And Claude Shannon essentially proved it again. They all have shown that this dream of a hermetically sealed uh, package of complete knowledge imparted through some mathematical set of algorithms is delusional. And people who believe in it uh, are victims of Chestertonian uh, delusion. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. When I, I've been discussing your book with well, basically everybody I run into for the last month or so, and and one of the the things that that's come up on more than one occasion is somebody said, well, what about you know IBM's Watson and its ability to create a recipe? Wasn't that creative? And as I was thinking about it, I said, well. I guess it was creative, but at some point, somewhere in the code, in the innards of Watson somewhere, there was an if-then statement coded by some human being that said, if cilantro seems to be a good ingredient, include it. And yeah. that, that's, how I, that's how I've kind of meant to understand. There, there has to have been a decision that was pre-made that ultimately manifests itself in what the decision that Watson makes. Well, they had to choose a bounded area of deterministic behavior and uh, and of course a computer can uh, run through a set of of algorithms that uh, cover some defined uh, set of of uh, degrees of freedom it's a deterministic domain chess for example or go or one of these games that uh, computers can play all uh, are functioning in a deterministic domain uh, where there's one answer in a, in essence and so so they uh, of course they can explore a deterministic regime but creativity by definition comes as a surprise to us it's the unexpected bits that constitute information in Shannon's, Claude Shannon's information theory that's the foundation of computer science and the Internet. And, and this is, uh, it's unexpected bits, surprisal. 
And uh, if a machine starts surprising you, it's breaking down. It's uh, you know, a surprise <laughs> is bad news in a machine. And yes. in the Google philosophy, the way they think they compensate for uh, the determinism of their programs is to insert randomness. But uh, randomness subtracts information. It doesn't add at information. It, it doesn't provide imagination. It doesn't endow uh, creation. So it's, it's just uh, wherever they go, they end up in the girdle trap. And, uh, and when they're in the girdle trap, they uh, fantasize infinite multiple universes and, <laughs> and simulations of aliens and other bizarre uh, uh, illusions. No, I love love that. And um, wanted to ask you. We've got about three minutes until our our next break. And and uh, picking up on the non deterministic piece, you you talk about this in, in the book that uh, applying it to self driving cars that that this technology would ultimately fail without new sensory and human guidance. And you talk about so many technologies in the book, but you don't really address this. Do do you think that we will have fully autonomous vehicles in relatively short order? Is that not something that's that's ever going to come? Or is that is is driving deterministic enough, I guess is the question. No, I, I think we could certainly, if we create a bounded arena for these cars to uh, function within, uh, we can obviously have uh, self-driving vehicles. I mean, we already have self-driving vehicles and lots of private kind of, uh, you know, parks and, and uh, you know, home residential neighborhoods. And, you know, if, if you have an essentially controlled environment, you can have self-driving cars. And as the cars as the self-driving technology improves, and uh, the point I make in Life After Google is the improvement will not just be in machine learning. It's not just that the cars learn how to drive. It's also that uh, the technologies of LiDAR have to improve as well, and, and that's uh, a major challenge. Uh, one of the companies I described, Luminar, which is started by a Teal fellow, you know, who lured out of college by a $100,000 Teal fellowship, a guy named Austin Russell, launched a company called Luminar, which is improving the cost effective or the effectiveness of uh, LIDAR by a factor of 50 or something, you know, which gives the car as much as seven seconds to respond to uh, unexpected events. And, and it, it takes that kind of improvement in hardware in order to make it possible for these software programs to uh, arrive at coherent solutions. 
Yeah. But, they, well, there's, it's like self, self, it, it's not something that's going to happen all at once. So it's something that will incrementally occur as cars gain increasing capabilities. Uh, but it doesn't uh, usurp human minds or ex- it's not a singularity that uh, dis- displaces human beings. It's just as technology improves, human productivity increases, and human beings become more employable, not less employable. This is the whole history of technology. It's as if these people have amnesia of some kind and can't understand their the own the manifest experience of hundreds of years of human creativity and progress yeah no absolutely and my, my joke was and more productive and more and safer and more creative and more interesting all the time no ab- absolutely great stuff well we're up against our break at the bottom of the hour I want to remind you that you can t- contact ron or me by sending an email to ask tsoe at verisage.com the website the soul of enterprise.com with show notes and also previous shows uh, as well as the one that we did with george gilder back in september 11th of 2000 and uh, i think 15 it was um but right now a word from our sponsor future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with the author of Life After Google, George Gilder. And George, you do a really good job in the book of taking down the whole free model of Google. Um, not only does it give them incentive not to worry about security, because who wants to steal free stuff? But it's not free because we're, we're not paying in money, but we're paying with our time. It's kind of like a barter system that we've left behind in the Stone Age, as you point out. Um, it's a real problem, isn't it? Not to have yeah. customers. Well, I think it's a problem for Google. I mean, it's a problem for Google that they don't have prices. It's a problem for Google that they don't have the lessons of, that a real market imparts to companies and guides their investment and their future. It's a problem for Google that they don't have real customers uh, that... Uh, to whom they have obligations and incur liabilities. And, and uh, it's a problem for Google that they don't have uh, uh, the whole process. They talk about machine learning all the time, but the fact is that machines can't learn, but humans can. But in order for humans to learn, they got to have... Uh, experiments that can go wrong. They, they can't have uh, sort of a guaranteed world where everything's free and, and uh, no uh, sort of learning experiences really can arise. You know, my whole theory of the information theory of capitalism is that wealth is knowledge. And we know that because uh, uh, the conservation law says that all the matter that ever existed uh, existed in the Stone Age. Uh, you know, the difference between our age and the Stone Age is entirely the growth of knowledge. And if knowledge is wealth, then economic growth is learning. And that's what it is. And so if you prohibit learning by not having any prices uh, for your goods or any real relationships with your customers or you restrict your customers to a few big corporate offices that buy your advertising or even hundreds of thousands of small businesses who purchase your advertising, you restrict your market and you restrict your learning process. And that is what will ultimately bring Google down because there are all these companies out there that are confronting real markets and getting real price signals and conducting real Popperian experiments which yield new knowledge. Right. No, I, th your equation there is brilliant. Wealth is knowledge, growth is learning. Um, so, Okay, Google. Google's doomed. Its business model is doomed because of this new layer of the internet that we're going to get because of the cryptocosm. And you, and I love how you profile some of the fifteen, seventeen fund entrepreneurs and and the Teal Fellows. And you talk about all this new technology that's coming out that I guess will be the new architecture of the blockchain economy. Uh, 
can, can you kind of unpack that? I mean, is, you say the clouds are going to disperse across the sky and everything's going to move down to the decentralized blockchain. Is, is that the essence of the cryptocosm? Yeah, but the, the, key, the key point is that in order for capitalism really to work, you have to ma- maximize the creativity of individual human minds. Uh, and individual human minds are dispersed and we're distributed, we're s- separate, we function largely peer-to-peer. Uh, and an Internet architecture that corresponds to the dispersal of human intelligence, of human minds, is the blockchain and all the other technologies that have erupted around the blockchain. And some of them even uh, obviate specific blockchain structures. They have other similar structures. But they all are identifiable by their uh, dispersal of information and intelligence. They don't try to create a porous Internet stack where all the knowledge and and, uh, money rise to the top. Instead, you have a block stack. Uh, You have a system at the bottom that retains personal data, personal content, personal creativity, on the foundation, and uh, this is the foundation of security that the blockchain offers for a new Internet that correlates with the very nature of the human mind and its dispersal around the planet. And George, when you look at all these entrepreneurs that you profile, they're all they're all really young. Some are college dropouts, Teal Fellowship winners. They all seem to be in their 20s. And, and I know we've talked about Charles Murray's book, Human Accomplishment. One of the striking things in that book is all of these great leaps forward in learning take place from people below the age of 40. It, is there something to that still, that, that innovation is really a, you know, a young person's game? I think it probably it, it, it is because, you know, anybody's, Capabilities are limited, and and uh, they uh, and you gain your power over the environment by focusing and by developing specific uh, modes of behavior, habits, and disciplines, and and uh, and the new generations stand on the shoulders of the old generations, but it's hard to stand on your own shoulders. So, <laughs> so uh, it's, it is true that uh, Thiel, Peter Thiel had a brilliant insight when he decided to lure the best entrepreneurs out of college before they graduated because these colleges were becoming sclerotic and bureaucratic and and uh, sort of houses of political correctness, chambers of of uh, diversity politics. You know, it just uh, 
no longer really serving the future, uh, sort of clamping down on new generations, stultifying uh, new generations. And so, and one of the first Teal Fellows uh, was uh, Valerik Buterin, who created a new blockchain imitating the Bitcoin blockchain with a number of improvements that allowed it to be extended into a new comp- global computer platform uh, that could uh, use a new software now, a software language called Solidity to create smart contracts that could function with a new currency called Ether, which in turn uh, fed on a new uh, value metric called gas. And uh, and this uh, Ethereum blockchain has already accommodated some $20 billion of new uh, uh ICOs, initial coin offerings, and uh, people keep stressing that 46% of them have already gone bust and a number of them are frauds. And yeah, there's a lot of uh, chaos and a lot of, of, of uh, mischief in the blockchain world, but there's also an efflorescence of creativity that closely resembles the initial efflorescence of creativity around the Internet itself. And it really constitutes a new architecture for the Internet based on a new concept of security, which is uh, derived from distributing information everywhere rather than concentrating it at the top in a few giant data centers. And George, is it safe to say that you have more faith in virtual reality than than artificial intelligence because VR tends to augment the human? Yeah, I I, I think I like the the virtual reality challenge is trying to accommodate human consciousness and allow us to see the universe in new ways. I mean, we're you know. Photons, virtual reality is essentially manipulating photons. And uh, Jules Erbach, who is the founder of uh, Otoy Corporation with me and Alyssa Granger and Ari Emanuel and a bunch of people, but Jules is really the genius. And, and uh, he points out that the Big Bang was uh, an explosion of photons. And uh, what virtual reality has to do is simulate little bangs of, of photonic explosions that impinge on human consciousness and uh, give us a new perspective on reality. And that's, uh, that's a, a great challenge. It doesn't try to usurp human minds. It tries to serve human minds. Right, right. You know, my last question, George, and then Ed will take us out, but Google is full of really smart people, so I have a two-part question for you. One, has have they invited you internally to speak to them about this book? Uh, no, they haven't. I've, I've, I've sent messages. I think 
I think they they'll get around to it. I I, I really believe <laughs> that the word of this book and it's 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 been you know the number one book in uh, digital currencies and the number one book in in computer science and theory or whatever on Amazon for much of the last month. And I don't think it's entirely a coincidence that Google has been yakking about their concern with security increasingly as the days pass. And, and do, we'll see. <laughs> I expect to speak at Google at some point. I don't think that they're that intimidated that they think they can't uh, uh, learn from me. But maybe we'll see. It'll be interesting. <laughs> I have, All right. Uh, I respect them tremendously. I think they've, they're the dominant com- company of this era. They've made a huge contribution. They just have exaggerated the significance of their contribution. They've tried to inflate it into an That final thing, and it isn't. It isn't. Excellent. Artificial intelligence is not human. It does not eclipse human intelligence at all. It has nothing to do with human intelligence really is extended function. Right, right. Well, that's a great note for me to, to, to leave it on, George, as we enter our next break. And folks like to remind you, if you want to send Ed or myself an email, send it to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back with The Soul of Enterprise. Unfortunately, we have lost George Gilder, Ron. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, he's back. Oh, he's, he's back. back. He's back. Okay. Hi, George, you back? Yeah, I'm back. I don't know what happened. All right, awesome. No, we, we it, Google, clearly Google does not want this interview to continue. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in all seriousness, I, I'm going to take you through to the last segment. We've got about uh, six minutes left. Um, okay. A couple of things you and Ron were, were talking about got me to thinking. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Apple is doing from a security standpoint? They at least seem to be ex- ex- attempting to shift it down to the advice, the device, to make it a little bit more personal, a little bit more, more human. Do you think that's going to be an assistance in the future, or do you think that that's going to be blown up with the, the whole new security realm itself? Yeah. Well, in the first place, I think Apple and Amazon are both different from uh, Google in that they spurn the free temptation. And uh, they are brilliant at collecting money from real customers. So I, I, I think uh, they're not part of this uh, Google system of the world in the same way. That said, I think Apple is uh, deteriorating to some degree. They are, they are, uh, their constant passwords, their pins, their uh, constant uh, harassment of their users, their uh, increasing closure of their systems where you can't repair them. Uh, You know, the right to repair is an important phenomenon. And to try to create a closed, essentially, company store where their customers can't uh, be creative anymore. I I think Apple is uh, deteriorating since the times of uh, Steve Jobs, and I, I think they they need, or, you know, their leadership has to open up a bit, uh, and I don't think they've solved the, the security problem at all. They're, they're just compounding it with more uh, security busy work, uh, more pedophagy that really... Uh, uh, chiefly stops their customers from using their own devices. Uh, you know, if you make a slight mistake with your Apple Drive, uh, they can't retrieve it for you. They, If you forget your special password for your Apple Drive, you got to wipe it, wipe it clean before you can uh, proceed. And uh, you lose everything you've haven't uh, stored at the Apple Cloud, you know? I mean, it's uh, this whole security model that uh, these companies are pursuing where they try to create their own little secure walled garden uh, while leaving all the interstices between uh, the various separate walled gardens open to hackers to play is... uh, is futile and quixotic and will have to end. 
Agreed. We have uh, about two minutes left, George, but I did want to ask you, first of all, uh, thank you for the recommendation on the Brave browser. I've actually started uh, playing with it myself, and I, I, I think I see where it's going, probably not as clearly as you, but it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating technology. But uh, what I want to ask is, do you think that the, the blockchain or some variant form of it might be a potential answer for the, the, the challenges that we see with voter fraud? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I think voter fraud, you know, to the extent that we really can't solve voter fraud with the existing technologies, I don't think we got an awful lot of voter fraud in the United States. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, but uh, blockchain is a complex technology that's being developed along many different tracks at the moment, and one of the applications is voting, and, and, uh, and it's being used in Estonia and several other countries that Singapore wants to use it. There are lots of, uh, of uh, experiments going on using blockchains in politics, and uh, we'll see how they turn out. Yeah, no. I, well, and then the the other side of that question is is as as security becomes more personal, and we've got about one minute left. Um, do do you think that disrupts the, the the NSA from their their quote spying on us as well? Yeah, I I don't I don't you know I don't mind uh, NSA doing uh, uh, metadata churning our, our metadata through their computers does not threaten me. Uh, FBI agents pounding on my front door or breaking into my garage threaten me. I think that uh, computer intrusions of this sort are benign and necessary in an age where uh, nuclear weapons can be uh, potentially put in uh, in uh, small boxes and deployed, you know, they're just real terrorist threats that uh, the NSA has to address. And I think the, this paranoia about, about privacy with the NSA is, is misconceived. Interesting. Well, I thank you, George Gildiff. No, that, that's okay. Sorry, we just have to wrap up. We've got about 30 seconds left, and Ron's got to read the the outro. I uh, want to really appreciate you being on the show once again. You're a fabulous guest, and th- thanks for handling all my rapid-fire subject changes at the end there. Hopefully, you'll be you'll w- willing to appear again next time. Oh, I certainly will. Thank you so much. Thank Love you. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Ed, what's on store for next week? Uh, next week, Ron, Free Rider Friday. All right. See you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll post full show notes with our interview with George Gilder. Also, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.